It's great to see everyone out. You know, I've, got, I've been thinking the last uh, couple of weeks about this subject of, of wisdom, and I can't help but think of the year 2020. And I, I would say that if you had, let me just give you a little background. When I was an elementary teacher, it seemed like every year they would come and they'd say, well, you have to have this word that's gonna define you throughout this year. And if you're an elementary teacher, you've been there, you know that over and over every year. You come up with a new word. I was just come up with the same word. It was less work. But I would say that 2020 has come up with the word drama. Drama. That, that's, that's what this year seems to be for us. And we talk a lot about the drama llama at our house because we tend to have a lot of drama. But the reason I say that is because when you go through times of drama, the type of wisdom that you cling to, that you use to direct your life is essential. It's essential that you're using a wisdom of God. And that's what James talks a lot about in James chapter three. And we're gonna spend a lot of time there, verses 13 through 18 this morning. It's a wisdom from above or a wisdom from God. Now, when we talk about wisdom, we wanna understand that wisdom is not just knowledge. It's not just me reading the word of God and knowing the word of God. It's more than that. It's having an understanding of that word of God and applying it to my life, making decisions based on the word of God. That's what wisdom is. So when we say somebody is wise, that's what we mean. You know, there are a lot of people out there who are very knowledgeable about the word of God, but they still believe that God doesn't exist. They're not wise. And too many times when we think of wisdom, I think we confuse a godly wisdom with our own wisdom or with a worldly wisdom. And, and James addresses that a little bit here in James chapter three. So we wanna look at that this morning. When you first go to verse 13, he poses a question to them at this point. And I believe he's posing this question to the teachers because if you go back to James chapter three and verse one, he directly addresses the teachers there. But I believe this is a question that each one of us should ask ourselves on a daily basis and evaluate. And what he says in verse 13, it says, who is wise, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Now this question kind of puts them on the spot here because everybody wants to think they're wise. I would like to think I'm wise, even though many times I'm foolish in my actions. Everybody wants to think they're wise and they don't want to be seen as foolish. So we might say, yes, I'm, fool I'm, I'm wise. I know the word of God if we're ever questioned with that. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. And that, I'm sure that's our first response. Yes, we are wise. We are knowledgeable in the word of God. But you see, too many times we let the wisdom of the world and our own desires and our own wants mix in with God's wisdom and it no longer is the wisdom from above. And we've gotta be very careful with that because it becomes our wisdom. It becomes the wisdom of the world. And God says that that, that wisdom is foolishness. 1 Corinthians 3, 19, it says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. It's foolishness. You know, I heard this week a very uh, prominent doctor. I'm sure many of you know who I'm talking about. I'm not gonna mention names. But in an interview he did this week, he said, science is truth. Now, I would agree science is important, and I would agree when science is used correctly, it goes hand in hand with the word of God. But the science that they talk about is not always truth. 
And I'm not getting into what's going on right now. I'm talking about a lot of things that people call science that are contradictory to the word of God. If I were to believe that science is truth always, I would believe that this world was created out of nothing in an explosion. If I believe that science is truth in every aspect, I would believe that an unborn child is okay to be aborted because it's just a pile of cells. Science is not always truth. But I'll tell you what is, the word of God is. The word of God is truth. And that's what we need to base our life on. That's what we need to base our decisions on is the wisdom of God that comes from his word. In Proverbs chapter one and verse seven, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I've heard that verse a lot and I think of that verse and I always get that idea that despising wisdom and knowledge means that maybe we hate that, that we, we, we just don't like it at all. We don't want to be any part of it. But I think despising wisdom and instruction is when we have the opportunity to read the word of God daily and we don't. When we have the opportunity to pick up the word of God and let it direct our lives and let it change who we are and yet we don't do it. That's despising wisdom and instruction. And we've got to be very careful with that. Colossians 3.16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That means that the word of God has to be a part of our lives. It has to be a part of us. It has to dwell in us. That means we've got to put some effort and we've got to be in the word of God, searching it out, looking to the word of God to see what it would have to do with our lives, how it would have us to make decisions in certain situations. Because the wisdom of God can change us. It can make our lives right with God. But too many times our actions don't show that. And James understands that because in the next part of that same verse where he posed that question to them, he says, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So what James is saying here is that if you say that you're wise, show it in your actions. Show it in how you live your life. Let the word of God direct you. Let the word of God mold you and and follow it. Let it be your guide. You know, it seems very almost parallel when you look at James chapter two and verse 18 and he talks about faith and he says, yea, a man may say thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my, my faith by my works. He says, I'm gonna show you my faith in Jesus Christ by my works. Well, how do we know our wisdom? How do we know if we are living by a worldly wisdom or a godly wisdom? Well, the litmus test, the ultimate test is our actions and how we live our lives. Our actions tell us a lot. Now, when you go back to James chapter 3.13 and he talks about a good conversation, it's more than just what we say. It's our whole manner of life. Not just a a picture of Sunday morning when we're around our brothers and sisters in Christ, but how are we living when we are on our own by ourselves? How are we raising our children? How are we acting at work? It's an overall idea of how we live our lives. Does every aspect of our lives, is it driven by God's word? That's what needs to happen in our lives. But so many times we're so focused on the world and what the world thinks is wise and we get confused. 
and we start basing our decisions on worldly wisdom, based on our own wants, based on our own desires. You know, Matthew chapter seven, I think echoes this same point in verse 20, Jesus talking about those who would bring false doctrines. He says, wherefore by their fruits, ye shall know them. How do we know them? By their fruits, by their actions. How do we test our wisdom? By our actions. So we need to all evaluate ourselves daily to see if our actions align with God's word. And that's how we know if we're truly living through God's wisdom. He also talks about this idea of meekness of wisdom. And I think this is the attitude, having that correct attitude in our approach to everyday life, that a correct attitude to applying godly wisdom to our lives. We have to have that meek attitude. Now, when you hear that word meek, worldly wisdom will tell you that that word means weakness. That if you are a meek person, you're a weak person. That's what the world says. But I wanna let you know what God's wisdom tells us about being meek. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, Jesus speaks, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart. Jesus Christ calls himself meek. I'm gonna tell you, the world says that being meek is weak. Jesus says that's what he was. Jesus is the most powerful person that ever walked this earth. He was not weak. Are we gonna trust in the world's version or God's? You look at Isaiah 53 and verse seven, just a short excerpt of a prophecy showing Jesus Christ's sacrifice that he made for us. And he says, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. The fact is, is Jesus Christ was powerful. Jesus Christ was powerful. And I wanna go back and I wanna take a look, just a minute, I, I kind of put this, this isn't a definition that you're gonna find in any dictionary. It's just something that I kind of put together out of my studies of different things. But this is kind of what I came up with, what being meek means. It means being humble and gentle towards others and submissive and obedient to the Lord. And I wanna focus on this part right here, not self-willed. Because that's what worldly wisdom is. It's all about us. It's all about doing what we want, what we think putting our pride ahead of God, putting our pride ahead of others. Now, if you think about Jesus and his meekness, and you look back at what he did when he sacrificed himself for us, that was meek, but it was not weak. Also, if you look at Galatians chapter five and verse 22, and you look at the fruits of the spirit, one of those listed right after verse 23 begins, is meekness. So once again, scripture is telling us that we need to be meek in our approach. In every aspect of our lives, we need to approach it with a meekness, just like Jesus did. Because pride is what gets us in trouble. That idea that we're more important than we actually are, that's what gets us in trouble. Proverbs eleven twelve it says, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. So what does pride bring us? Pride brings us shame. But you know what the world will tell you? Follow yourself, follow your heart. 
because you're important. The fact is, our importance comes through Jesus Christ. That's where our importance comes from. Not from a self-help book, not from anywhere, but through Jesus Christ. That's where our our importance comes from. But he says, but the lowly, but with the lowly is wisdom. Let's remember that. Let's remember that in our, our approach to others. You know, I heard it said that, that meekness is having, that, having power, but being able to control the pride that comes with it. And I think that's a good way to put that. We're not weak, but we can control our pride when we're meek. We're putting God first and we're putting others ahead of ourselves. James goes on and he begins to talk about the two types of wisdom that he was seeing. And the first one he talks about is a wisdom of the world. In verse 14, he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. I want you to think about what he's saying there. What does the world tell us? The world says, you're important. Follow your heart. Do what's best for you. Take care of yourself. God's word tells us, put me first and put others first and I'm gonna take care of you. Worldly wisdom gets us in a lot of trouble. You know, in Galatians chapter five, verse 19, right before he talks about those uh, fruits of the spirit, he talks about works of the flesh. And he mentions several things. He talks about adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And he says, if, you, if those things are part of your life, then you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But I want you to notice what the world tells us about those things. They're okay. If they make you feel better, do them. You don't deserve to be put through that. 30 years ago, adultery was something you didn't really talk about. Adultery was something that it's kind of taboo. Today, there are websites out there to help you find somebody to commit adultery with. The world says it's okay. What about fornication? You can't go anywhere and not see fornication. People look at you funny if you don't go get drunk every Friday night. What I want us to understand about the works of the flesh is it's all about us taking care of ourselves. It's all about us doing what we want to do, what we feel is best and what we want and it disregards God's word altogether. But God would want me to do it because it makes me feel good. I've actually heard that before with certain sin. No, God's word would not want you to do it. But you see how worldly wisdom twists that in our minds, in our world? He talks about envy a lot, and we think about envy Envy is when we want what others have because we think we deserve it, because we think that we should have it more than them. Many times at their own expense. 
Ecclesiastes 4 and 4, it says it again, I consider all travail and every right work for this is for this, a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of the spirit. The thing is, is if we are searching anything out, even spiritual things through envy, it's worthless. It's pointless because we're not putting God first. We're not put, our priorities aren't straight. We're putting ourselves first because envy is all about us. It means we have a carnal mind. First Corinthians 3, 3, it says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying, strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? See, when we put our, our, ourselves ahead of God and ahead of others, we're just like everyone else. We're watching out for ourselves. We're doing what we feel is right, what we want to do. And that's just not a personal thing. That's churches. That's society as a whole because we're walking away from the wisdom of God. We're not using the correct wisdom to drive our actions. And pride creeps into our heart and we start thinking of ourselves a little bit better than we should. But God's view of that in Obadiah 1 and verse 4, he says, though thou exalt thyself as an eagle and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down. That's what happens when we place that high of importance on ourselves, when we put ourselves above God, when we put ourselves above others. That's worldly wisdom talking. And God says, I'm gonna bring you down. That's and one that we need to be taking heed of. He goes on and he talks about worldly wisdom being earthly. So it's just like everyone else. It's no different. We're, we're, set, we're supposed to be set apart, but... When we use that wisdom, we're no different from anybody else. But he takes it another step and he says it's unspiritual. It's against the word of God. It goes against God's teaching. It goes against his wisdom. And then he takes it one step further and he says, in the ESV, demonic, the the King James says, devilish. We're no better than a servant of Satan. It is serious business if we're wrapped up in worldly wisdom. And this, one, this is what struck me with everything that's going on right now in this world. James 3.16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. What happens when you open the news on your phone? You see disorder. You see every vile practice. You see broken homes. You see moms and dads who don't care about their children. Where does that come from? It comes from a worldly wisdom. So you wanna know why our world, our society is so crazy right now? Because we're not trusting in the right kind of wisdom. We're trusting in worldly wisdom. In James chapter three and verse 17, he goes on and he talks about a better kind of wisdom, a wisdom from above. And he says, but the wisdom from above the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. So he, he names several of these qualities that the wisdom of God has. And if the wisdom of God has these qualities and we're supposed to use the wisdom of God to direct our steps and to guide our lives, we should have these qualities in our lives also. These are things, these are the actions that he's talking about that we should be seeing in our lives. When he asked that question in verse 13, and he starts out with the idea that the wisdom of God is first pure. 
And when you think about what that word means, it means there's no contamination. There's no evil quality in his word, in his wisdom, and there's no worldliness about it. Therefore, our lives, when we live our lives, our actions, we should be striving to be pure, to be unspotted from the world, to be able to face that temptation and deny it. And we're not perfect. That's why we need Jesus. We're gonna make mistakes, but that idea, Jesus, his blood, his sacrifice will cover that if we're willing to be obedient to him. But the idea is that we are as unspotted from the world as we possibly can be. Because if we're following God's wisdom, and that's what directs our actions, people should be able to see that pureness in our life. Psalm 24 and verse four, he says, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. How do you receive righteousness? How do you receive blessing? Well, you have clean hands and you have a pure heart. And your actions aren't vain. They have a purpose and that purpose is serving God and living for him. The next thing he talks about is that the wisdom of God is peaceable. This means that our actions should be peaceable. Are we one of those that are always going out looking for some kind of fight, some kind of argument, some kind of confrontation? Have you ever been around those people? When I'm around those people, I wanna get away. (laughs) I wanna leave because it just makes me tense. It makes, there's a lack of peace there. And I think this is one that's particularly scary for the church as a whole. You know, I'm gonna tell you, I I think we're very blessed in this congregation to have elders who are willing to read the word of God, to study the word of God. When something comes up, they're gonna be in the word of God, but not only that, they're gonna be praying for wisdom to help them make that decision. We're very blessed here, but there's a lot of places that don't have that blessing. And we've all, well, many of us have probably known of people who have gotten upset with a decision that's made. And they stir up strife, they stir up, and they cause confrontation, and there's just a lack of peace. And sometimes that can lead to a split in the church. You see, that happens when we think of ourselves as us. But God sees us as a part of a bigger whole, a part of a bigger, more important thing, and that's the church. If you look at Romans chapter 12, verse four, he says, for as we are many members in one body and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. I'm here for you, you're here for me. We're all here to do not what we want or what we think, but to do what God's word tells us to do. And having a peaceful attitude goes a long way in our approach to each other and keeping the peace within the church and solving problems that we might have, issues that we might have with each other. Having that idea, that attitude of of being peaceful. Hebrews 12, 14, it says, follow peace with all men in holiness without without which no man shall see the Lord. We need to seek out peace and have a peaceful attitude. And people should be able to see that in me also. Because if I'm following God's wisdom, that should show in my life. The next one he talks about is being gentle. And it's very similar to that idea of being peaceful. In Philippians chapter four and verse five, he says, let your moderation or gentleness be known unto all men. 
Again, it should be seen in our actions. It should be seen in our lives. I'm gonna tell you, and I've talked about this, and I feel, I'm gonna give myself a pat on the back because we just went on a road trip and we drove 10,000 miles, and I was pretty good with this. But I didn't get upset with hardly anybody on the road. And that's hard for me. It's something I've worked hard on. But what happens if I'm in my car and I'm, Somebody cuts me off and I'm yelling, I'm honking at them. Am I showing an attitude of being gentle? No, I'm letting my, I can't believe they did that to me. You see my self-importance start showing instead of, I don't know what they're going through. I don't, maybe they're in a hurry. Maybe they got to, whatever. Maybe they're going to hospital. I don't give them the benefit of the doubt. I, I consider myself as being harmed and I, I don't approach with a gentle attitude. I dread the day when I do that and they follow me to church. <laughs> I dread the day. And that's, that's, what I try to, that's why I try to change because I don't want that to happen. You know, we have that idea. Matthew chapter five and 38, he says, "'Ye have heard that it have been said, "'an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, "'but I say unto you that you resist not evil, "'but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek.'" What does he say? "'Turn to him the other also.'" And he goes on and he says, if he, if he wants you, if he sues you for your coat, give him your cloak also. Sometimes it comes, being gentle comes with us maybe sacrificing a little bit, maybe taking a little bit of a beating sometimes. But having that pride under control saying, it's not about me. I can let that pass. Having that gentle attitude. And it's, that applies to every aspect of our lives. Do we have that gentle attitude? He goes on and he talks about easy to be entreated. And I, this is a word that I kind of had to study a little bit, something that I don't ask you to be easily entreated. It's not something we talk about every day. But what that basically means is that we should be easily persuaded by God's word. If God's word says it, we should be willing to change our lives to accommodate God's word. Letting the word of God mold us and shape us. Psalms 38 or 32 and verse eight, he says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. God has promised that if we let him, that he will guide us, that he will walk us through this life. But we have to do that according to his word and to his will. But too many times, and if you've studied with people enough, you're gonna find people who have pride. And maybe you were at that point at one point in your life when somebody preached the gospel to you and you thought, that's not what I've been taught. It can be read out of the word of God and too many times our pride will tell us, yeah, that can't be right. If it's in God's word, it's right. And we need to be ready to let the word of God change who we are and mold who we are. And if there's a problem with us in our lives, If we're doing something that goes against God's word, we need to be ready to let it change that problem. Proverbs 15, 32, it says, he that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. We need to be willing to hear reproof sometimes. Don't take it personally. Understand that God's word has changed us already. Let it change us where it needs to change us because it can always change us. It can always make us better. We need to be easily, easy to be entreated. He talks about it being full of mercy. 
and good fruits. And when you think of that idea of mercy, you can't talk about mercy without talking about Jesus Christ. The idea that Jesus Christ was spit on, that he was beaten almost to the point of death, and then he was hung on a cross. And yet he looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. See, his mercy was forgiving. And we need to be forgiving also. How can we expect to be forgiven if we're not forgiving ourselves? Matthew 6, 14 says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. We need to be willing to forgive. Sometimes we're not. But you know, mercy doesn't just end with forgiveness. It's also about compassion. And again, the fact that Jesus was hung on the cross, that he could have stopped that at any point and said, I'm not doing this. These people aren't worth it. But you know what? His meekness showed through. And he understood that it was God's will for that to happen. But he also understood that we needed it. And he had compassion enough that he went through all of that so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could have mercy, so that we could have a chance. That's mercy. That is the, the full display of God's mercy and his wisdom was there on the cross. But he also says, full of good fruits. And you think about Galatians, I can't think of good fruits without thinking of Galatians 5.22, when he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is joy, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, being distemperance. Against such there is no law. All of these things are, are characteristics that we as Christians should have in our lives that should be outwardly seen by those around us. And I'm sure this isn't the only good fruits we, we should have. I'm sure we, we could fill our lives with everything that God tells us to do with his wisdom. But the fact is, is if we're filling our lives with this, we don't have room for that evil. If this is what takes up our time, if this is what, what causes us to go into action, we don't have room for those negative sinful things. And you think about Galatians 5.25, he says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. We can't just live there. We've got to also show it in how we live our lives. And these things need to be a part of our lives. We need to use God's wisdom to direct our paths and tell us where we need to go. And we need to be full of those things. Mercy and good fruits. He goes on, and I think this is a big one right now, without partiality. You look at Titus chapter one, verse nine, talking about elders, and he says, he talks about the word being a faithful word. A word that we can depend on. A word that can change our lives. A word that can make us the person that we need to be. But I'm gonna tell you something about worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom is partial. Worldly wisdom is all about division. Worldly wisdom is all about picking and choosing based on what we think or what we want. Godly wisdom is not. It is not partial. The fact is, it was for us all. Titus chapter 2, 11, it says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. He didn't say a certain race. He didn't talk about a certain family. He didn't talk about a certain background. The fact is, is God's word is for all men. And it doesn't matter what color our skin is. It doesn't matter what our family background is, it doesn't matter what we've done in our past. We can all benefit and be saved and be changed 
through God's word. It's not partial. It's for us all. And then he goes on finally to say without hypocrisy. And you think about that idea of hypocrisy. God's word is true. But many times we're not. Many times we say one thing and we preach one thing and and then we go and do the other. Titus 1.16, it says, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. They say that they know God, but their actions don't show it. Their actions don't prove it. If we say it, if we teach it, if we preach it, we need to be living it. Because if we're not, we're gonna push people away from God and, and the church faster than anything else by being hypocritical. His word, his wisdom is without hypocrisy and our life should be also. So when we think about that wisdom, how do we gain it? Simple, James 1, 5, it says, if, you, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. We ask God. We ask God for wisdom, but we can't just say, God, give me wisdom and expect him to fill us with all wisdom. It takes a little bit of work on our part because that wisdom comes from the word of God. Proverbs 2, verse six, it says, for the Lord giveth wisdom out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. So we read God's word, we study it, we apply it to our lives and we ask God to give us wisdom. And that's how we gain that wisdom. So the question this morning, I'm gonna go back to James 13 real quick and do we have wisdom? Do our actions show that we have godly wisdom? As you think back to verse 16 when he said, worldly wisdom brings disorder and every vile practice. You wanna know what God's wisdom brings? Peace. That's what it brings is peace. James 3, 18, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You want healing? You want healing in your family? You want healing in our society? Healing in the church? We all say we want peace. We all say we want healing but too many times we're not willing to search it out in the right spot. We search it out by what we think or what we want or what the world sees as wise. But God says, if you want peace, if you want healing, use my, be wise in his wisdom. Are we wise in his wisdom this morning? Can we look at our actions and truly say, I'm following God's wisdom? in my life. He's guiding my steps. He's directing me. If not, we need to make a change. And I think all of us, to some extent, could make that change this morning. And I hope we do that. As we close, I want to offer an invitation. I want you to think a little bit about wisdom. Worldly wisdom will tell you that all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is believe and ask Jesus into your heart. But God's word, God's wisdom tells us that we need to hear the word, that we need to believe it, that we need to repent of our sins, we need to confess that Jesus Christ is the son of God and we need to be buried with him in baptism. That's what God's wisdom says. 
What wisdom are we gonna trust this morning? If you're in that position and you never obey the gospel, we can help you with that this morning. Worldly wisdom will also tell you that if you need the prayers of the church and you come forward, we're gonna talk about you, that we're gonna give you a hard time, but I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen if you come forward. You're gonna come sit on the front row. We're gonna pray for you. We're gonna pray with you. We're gonna come hug your neck and then we're gonna support you with whatever you need. We're gonna help you in whatever way we can. So if you need to obey the gospel this morning or you need the prayers of the church, come to the front. We stand and sing the invitation song.